change around my team, yeah, we off the leash. You could look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we drop, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to Podski Wee Wee. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Mike, it's finally here, buddy. The 2023 CFL regular season begins this week. We're recording on a Monday afternoon. The season starts on Thursday night. How amped up are you to finally get meaningful football back after not having any since the Super Bowl was played in February? And for some, I guess the Grey Cup was played in November, but I'll say significant football extends into the NFL season because I think we're both... we're We're rational-minded individuals i think that we see the nfl as as a viable football league but it's been a few months how do you feel about finally real football being back i'm pretty damn excited uh, you know the tie cats have high expectations coming into this season i'm expecting some very high level football you know it, it, it always differs from year to year how good the football is in the cfl especially coming out the gate but i expect uh, some really entertaining stuff this year so I, i'm pumped up yeah, I'm pretty pumped up too. As much as I always say I like the off season because it's kind of a downtime, there's nothing like the actual games. Like that's when I think we do some of our best shows. Like that's when I have the most fun. That's when it really matters. So I'm I'm with you. I can't wait to get this kicked off. Tie cats begin on Friday, but the season itself begins on Thursday. Oh, I'm just I'm just all the way ready for it. All right, but let's jump right into some tie cats news because there is a whole heck of a lot of it. We're gonna start with the latest news. And that is the massive trade that the Ticats made to acquire Canadian pass rusher Jonathan Kongbo from the BC Lions for a conditional pick in the 2024 CFL draft. That happened. I learned of that as I was sitting at Tim Hortons Field about to watch Ticats practice kickoff. And someone that was sitting there was like, they traded for Jonathan. Oh, no, I saw. I went on Twitter. That's what it was. I went on Twitter and was like, they traded for Jonathan Kongbo. And it's like, oh, you got to be kidding me. So Kongbo, he had signed with the Lions maybe what? Two, three weeks ago, it was a move that then precipitated the release of Sean Lemon. Kongbo was drafted by the Winnipeg Blue Bombers with the fifth pick, fifth overall pick in the 2019 draft. Spent two seasons with the team, won the Grey Cup with them both years. Last year, he was in the NFL with the Denver Broncos, appearing in four games and recording one tackle. What did you think when you saw the news this morning that the Ticats had added, added yet another talented defensive lineman to their ever-growing defensive lineman stable? I was pretty shocked, uh, especially considering that it's Kongbo, a guy that the BC Lions, like you said, brought in a couple weeks ago to replace Sean Lemon, essentially. And they let Sean Lemon go, and now Kongbo is off their team as well. So yeah, they're just another weapon for the defensive line for the Tiger Cats. It seems like they're stockpiling talent, especially on the end. So the defensive end position is pretty solid for the Tiger Cats right now on both sides. It was before this move. Now, it's yeah. so I, I think... I think our pals at the 
Eat em Raw podcast it, put it out. Does it make any changes? Like, with do you see any changes being made now? Like, is a guy out of the fold now that uh, Kongbo is being brought in? See, I think – so I was sitting with some fans. We were talking about this when the news hit. And my thing is, I'm thinking Kwaku's not ready yet. He hasn't didn't really practice a lot during training camp. He wasn't practicing today, didn't have his jersey on. He was there, but he wasn't he wasn't practicing. I think maybe he's not ready. Mason Bennett has missed a little bit of time. Uh, I can't I don't recall I can't recall if he was out there today or not. I think he was. But I just think that it's I think the team is gonna go Canadian at defensive end. And to do that you need at least two. One to start and one to back him up in case they get hurt. And I think this is just a move that they get a player like this on the cheap for a, a conditional pick in the 2024 Seafield draft. From what I understand, it's essentially the draft pick they got from the lions in the Dane Evans trade. So it's based, it's not a pick that was theirs to begin with. They're just giving BC back their, their pick to take this player. And let's be honest, that was a, that was a conditional fourth that turned into a third. Jonathan Congo was a first round pick. If the Ticats had the, a pick in the 2024 draft in the third round or the fourth round, and could guarantee themselves a player like Jonathan Congo, you'd be thrilled. So mm-hmm. to get him in on this team that has these great cup aspirations is such a great move. I don't think this, I, I think it just speaks to the health of the defensive line more so than I think it speaks to anyone losing a job. I also think that we saw them do this last year with DBs and didn't work, but I think with the, with the defensive line, especially at the defensive end spot, something like this can work where you rotate guys in and out. And to answer your question, you know, having spent two and a half minutes talking about everything else, I don't necessarily think that this takes someone else off the field or mm-hmm. is in any way an indication that they're not confident in the players they have. I just think that they want to start a Canadian. The Canadians they have are kind of dinged up. This amazing talent became available. You go and grab them. I mean, he might be the best Canadian defensive end we have now, right? I mean, he was a, First round pick. I think he was fifth overall. The guy yep. has a monster at 6'5", 266 pounds. He spent some time in the NFL. Uh, I just don't see how you could turn this into a negative. This guy is a stud. And, uh, you know, he's only 27 years old, so there's a ton of potential ahead of him. You know, that defensive line is going to be scary this year, Josh. Very scary. Yeah, he he was drafted by Winnipeg, and there were a lot of comps to Willie Jefferson, like, in body size. And seeing him today, because he was at Tiger Cats practice this morning on Monday, uh he he's a pretty lank, like he's he's big but he's also long like he's got those Willie Je- like he doesn't have Willie Jefferson length with his arms but you can tell that he's got some some pretty long limbs there so mm-hmm. I think he's going to be a, a great addition and I before we got into the conversation I was mentioning I think it was the Edom Raw guys our our friends over there put out a tweet listing the defensive line for the Hamilton Tiger Cats like all the guys that they have from end to tackle. And basically saying it's not fair. And you you go down the list of names. I'm going to try to find it. I got I'm, I'm pulling up Twitter now. I'm going to try to find all the, just just to make sure we have we don't we don't miss anybody essentially. Uh, yeah, here we go. Hamilton. This is from the Edom the guys at the Edom Raw podcast. Hamilton's D line now consists of Malik Carney, Jagarit Davis, Dylan Wynn, Ted Laurent, Casey Sales, Muhammad Diallo, Mason Bennett, Jonathan Kongbo, and Kwaku Boateng. That almost seems unfair. It does seem unfair. No team should have that much talent along the defensive line. And yet here the Ticats are all those guys that I just mentioned can start in this league and Hamilton's got nine of them and will only be able to start four. it's, it's an embarrassment of riches at the position right now. Now Kongbo obviously is a defensive end, but it seems to me like he has the size to play on the interior as well. Has he played as a defensive tackle at all? Do you know? 
I don't recall. I like I know he was a situational pass rusher in Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. I didn't watch a ton of the Lions preseason stuff, so I'm not sure where where they had him lined up. I don't think he played D tackle in the NFL, but I mean, when you have size, you can play pretty much anywhere. And Hamilton likes right. to move guys around. We've seen Jagger Davis famously in the East final in 2021, he was out there guarding a running back. So <laughs> Hamilton's not afraid to move guys around. And sometimes they'll have a, like, could you imagine if they went with some sort of like golden state warriors, death lineup situation where they line up Jagger Davis, Jonathan Kongbo, Mason Bennett and Kwaku Botang, all that speed or Malik Carney or like they could go with, mm-hmm. with four guys, t- take off the, the big guys in the middle on, on say like a, a second and 12 situation. You kind of, you throw out four or five defensive ends as your entire defensive line to go get after the quarterback. Like it, it opens up a lot of possibilities for this defense that, that I find very, very exciting. There does seem to be, however, a little bit of controversy upon Kongbo's uh, exit from the Lions. TSN's Farhan Logi tweeted out that Kongbo was, and this is a direct quote, not a fit in the locker room, to which the 27-year-old replied, and this is also a direct quote, not a fit because I called out star players not showing up for practice and guys not wanting to work out. Culture matters. It's called pro football for a reason. You rarely see players respond so directly to to these types of reports. Are you cool with Kongbo going public with this? And more importantly... How curious are you to know which players he was talking about? I'm cool with it because I believe this is a guy that has been on the Winnipeg Blue Bombers team for a couple years, won a couple Grey Cups there. I don't believe there was any problems with a fit in the locker room there. And, you know, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are the best franchise in the league right now. So the best culture in the league right now. So I, I see that I'm, I'm on Kongbo's side. And I know that, you know, you'd, you'd expect that from me being a Ticat homer and everything, but... I just think that Kongbo knows how to win championships. He's a hard worker. He's been at the highest levels where they work, you know, they, the practices are longer and the work is harder. So I'm going to take Kongbo's word on this. This is the same thing that the Lions put out there when they released Sean Lemon. That Sean Lemon was not really a fit in the locker room, and that's one of the reasons they got rid of him. So this seems to be, and look, I'm not doubting that this is what Farhan was told. Not for a second am I doubting that he was told that, Mm-hmm. the reason they traded him. But where do you think he's getting his information from? He's based in Vancouver. He's a Vancouver guy. He's getting his information from some of the higher ups in BC. <clears throat> so of course they're going to make, they bring this guy in who's a former first round pick. They bring him in with a lot of kind of pomp and circumstance when they did it a few weeks ago, they release a, a guy who's kind of on, I know he's at the later stage of his career, but he's on kind of a hall of fame trajectory in Sean Lemon. Like, they kind of have to save face here because it, it, it was when when I saw the trade that happened, it was it was very like, I'm like, well, why? Like mm-hmm. what precipitated this decision? And Congo was with the Bombers twice, parlayed his his rookie season to CFL. He ended up going down to the NFL and signing with the San Francisco 49ers. He never played for them. He was only with them, but he, he got an NFL opportunity, comes back, plays for the Bombers in 2021, then goes gets another opportunity to go back to the NFL with the Broncos plays for them i just don't see nothing has ever come out that he's been a problem before you mentioned the fact that he was with winnipeg if if there were attitudinal problems you think we would have heard about it before today this just this feels to me like the people in bc are trying to save face in a way like this is why we made the move oh he's not a fit in our locker room and then you see kongbo's reasoning 
And you're like, well, if that's why they didn't want him, I'm cool with them coming over here. Call whoever you like. If if star players are not putting in the effort to be star player, like why why shouldn't they be called out? And it's not like Kongbo's some rookie. He's a 27 year old. He's played in he's he's played in two one two great cups. He's played in the NFL. He's got some heft behind his words. He knows what it's like to play. Like he was in a locker room with Russell Wilson. He was in a locker room with Nick Bosa in San Francisco. So he knows what guys need to put in to be the best of the best. I don't really see a, a problem with this. Maybe you, if it was, if he was still in BC, I, I don't think I'd like this. Or if, or if he's, if he's here and there's a, a problem in the locker room and he airs his grievances, I'm not, I, I feel like that's sort of stuff you should keep in house. But I mean, his, his integrity, his, um his character was questioned. Yep. And I feel like any of us in that situation would have, would have fired back, would have defended ourselves. So no, I'm with you. I don't really see a problem with this whatsoever. Yeah, exactly. If it was like a, you know, non-provoked type of thing on Twitter, like I, I forget that the player was a, a couple of months ago uh, with the Edmonton Elks, but he was complaining about his contract. I didn't really understand Kevin Francis, what the problem was. Yeah. And like he, he wasn't getting paid or something like I, I just didn't understand what was going on there. And, you know, if he has a gripe with the franchise and so be it. But this is different. Like you said, he was called out in public. He's just defending his own his own character. So I, I don't have a problem with it. All right. So the other Tiger Cats news from Monday is that kicker Seth Small is back with the team after missing the entirety of training camp for reasons that have not been divulged publicly. And knowing the franchise that the way I do will never be divulged publicly. Smith was at practice on Monday. I saw him with my own eyes. He is in Hamilton. And he nailed his only field goal try of the session, a 47-yarder that went right down the middle, so he doesn't look like he's lost anything by not being here. How relieved are you, though, to know that last year's East Division All-Star is finally back in the fold and we can put that whole who-will-kick-for-this-team controversy nonsense that we developed over the last two and a half weeks to bed? Pretty damn relieved. He's uh, He came into the this league and to this team last year, and he showed that he can kick with the best of them. So it's it's a relief to have a guy back there that we can depend on. Um, unlike previous years where the, the big question mark was kicker uh, coming into the season, we do not have that worry this season. You concerned at all that he missed the entirety of camp or is it he's a kicker? Who cares? Mm, he's a kicker. Who cares? To me anyways, like. He doesn't have to get so into shape, he, right? It's not like he has to get into play yeah. kicks. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, he can, he can, he could have been kicking when he was at home for the the past couple of weeks where he could kick the whole off season. He doesn't need training camp to go uh, practice kicking. Right. Yeah. That, that's the kind of way I put it. Like, I don't want to make a bunch of tackles on missed kicks or, or kickoffs. No, anyway. he doesn't have to like learn the playbook or like <laughs> no. anything like that. Right. So, no, we're good. Place the ball between the uprights and you're good to go. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm, yep. I'm kind of with you there. I am curious as to what the, the holdup was. If it was simply the, his wife had had their first child and he wanted to be there as long as possible. I mean, if that is the case, just say so. Like, I don't think anyone's going to hold, like we, we live in a much more enlightened time. Like I remember years ago, I think we, we, we talked about this on a previous show or, I can't remember, but it, I think it's something that came up before. Ben Roethlisberger, he, he Hall of Fame quarterback, soon to be Hall of Fame quarterback from the Pittsburgh Steelers. He w- he w- there was the possibility he would miss a game because his wife was having a child, and people were like, "You can't miss a game, like the birth of a kid. Who cares?" I mean, we dealt with it in the CFL with um <laughs> with what's his name um Trevor the Harris this year? Edmonton, that 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 got married during the season. Everyone and there was a bunch of people. Oh yeah, about yeah. like you can't getting married in the middle of the season. What's wrong with you? And it's like, well, you know what his his wife's more important. He's going to be with his wife, hopefully for 50 years and the game of football might last a decade. So you have to, and it, the team didn't seem to care, but it was fans who cared. 
I yeah, I just think if, if it was the case of he wants to spend time with his newborn child and his and again he's a kid. It's not like he's the if this was Bo Levi Mitchell, I might be a little more concerned. It's like oh, we would really like to have the new starting quarterback in town for training camp, but he's a kicker. You're right. Doesn't have to learn a playbook. He doesn't really have to get into any sort of real condition. You know what I mean? I mean Paul Osbaldiston played how long and had the body of of someone who wouldn't know what an athletic competition looked like. So this to me just seems like uh, just, just if it's personal and private, just say it's personal and private, none of our business and we'll move on. But that it was so secretive and no one really knew it felt a little, if if it allowed for fans to kind of build narrative, like we had heard room. I mean, I had heard rumors. I don't Mm -hmm. think they were true that he was upset with his contract, but it allows those things to kind of start to spring up. Whereas if it's just, He's taking some personal time. He'll be back before the season starts. If that would have been what said, we wouldn't be, we wouldn't have been talking about. We'd been like, oh, we got kickers because we have to have them, but we're not worried about it because Seth's going to be back. Yeah, exactly. And then, like you said, it leads to speculation, and then there's all these crazy rumors flying about. So it just, uh, you know, they should just bury it, you know, right at the start of it, and uh, you know, we wouldn't be so worried. So I'm glad he's back though. He's a solid kicker, and he's going to do good things this season. Hopefully, hopefully. All right. The Ticats also signed Canadian running back. I'm not sure how to pronounce his first name. I'm going to try. Reith John Giroux. Uh, He spent training camp with the Calgary Stampeders, was a fifth-round pick of the Alouettes in 2022. With Sean Thomas Erlington on the six-game injury list, the team needed some Canadian backfield help, and they now have some. He's not a guy I expect we'll see a lot of just because the running game is going to be the James Butler show. What about you? Do you just look at this as a depth signing and nothing more than that? Yeah, it's more of a, you know, STs out for a little bit. You get the Canadian in there to fill his spot. And then I assume you won't see much of him after that once Sean Thomas Erlington gets back into the lineup. But it's a good depth signing for the Ticats, no doubt. All right. Continuing with roster moves, the Ticats made a slew of them over the weekend, pairing their roster down on Saturday when mandatory cuts were due. The most notable name among the releases was third-year receiver Poppy White. White spent the past two seasons with the Ticats, catching 42 passes for 414 yards and one touchdown. He will most be remembered, however, for his electrifying punt return touchdown in the 2021 East Final that sparked the Ticats' comeback over the Argos and got the Ticats back into the Grey Cup for the second consecutive season. But he never really had any sustained success with the franchise, mostly because he really had a hard time staying healthy. In two seasons with the team, there was the possibility of him playing in 32 games, He played in just 13, including missing 10 a season ago. With other American receivers like Leandre Gallimard and Omar Bayless performing well in camp and in the preseason, it looks like White simply became the odd man out. So were you surprised when you saw the news that the team had parted ways with a player that seemingly they were once very, very high on? Not overly, because you didn't hear much about him in training camp. Uh, uh, Like you said, he was was injured, right? Yeah, because he was hurt again. he he did show flashes like in that in that playoff game the big return but he never you know met expectations after that you know we thought he'd step up in the receiving core with you know him and Tim White were like neck and neck at one point you know who's yep. going to be the guy that uh, really stands out amongst those two and obviously Tim White took the reins of that but uh, yeah there was high expectations for him and he just could never really grab them because of those injuries it, which was un- unfortunate for him. Yeah, he just never was able to take that next step. It's like he had flashes here and there, but there was never really anything uh, to to not to dump, 
unfortunately doubled down on nothing sustainable about it. He was, he would look great one week and then he'd miss six weeks. You know what I mean? And then he'd come back in the lineup and have a player here or there. And then he'd be out in for another three weeks. So it was just with the way you saw some of these younger guys play like Justin McGriff before he got hurt. And, and some of these other guys step up during camp and in the preseason, it just became, and it was, it was a question that I, like I was talking to fans, talking to Steve Milton of the Hamilton spectator. We, we had a conversation about like, who do they keep? And it was like, you got Terry Godwin, you got Bayless, you got McGriff, you got Gallimore, you got Poppy White. Like, you can only keep so many of them. And I think they were able to keep as many as they did simply because McGriff got hurt. So that necessitated somebody else of that group becoming a starter. And Poppy just, I mean, he was beat out. That's just the way it goes sometimes. Guys get beat out for jobs, whether they've been here a long time or not. And it's not as if he was like a superstar player that day they parted ways with. It's just, he was of the guys that they let go. And I'll, I'll list them in a second, the rest of them. He was just the most notable. So most of the other guys were, were bubble players, right? They, they let go of a quartet of Canadians, linebackers, Jared Beeksman, Dighton Blackett, running back Ke- Keon Edwards and offensive lineman, Ben Coxwara. They also released a bunch of American players, defensive backs, Tony Collier, Roger Cray Jr., Cortez Davis, Tyrone Hill Jr., and Caesar Williams. Your favorite player of, of training camp, offensive lineman Jordan Boatman was let go, as was offensive lineman Moses Johnson. They let go of defensive lineman TJ Johnson and Ellison Hubbard. Hubbard was with the team for such a short amount of time that we never – he was signed and released between us doing shows, so we never even got a chance <laughs> to discuss him coming onto the team. They also let go of receivers Calvin Jackson Jr., John Vea Johnson, and Khalil Lewis, linebacker Carlton, Carlton Marshall, running back Trey Ragus, and kickers Jonathan Garibay and Ethan Ratke, which, when those moves were made, kind of gave us a clue that Seth Small would be back on Monday, which he was. They also added a bunch of players to the practice roster, but we'll push that to the side for a second to discuss the releases. Of those guys, the non-poppy releases, nothing really stands out to me. What about you? Like... Maybe John Vay Johnson looked okay in the preseason, but other than that, mm. it's it's kind of a bunch of guys who were brought in simply to be not training camp fodder, but we're always going to be in tough to make the team. Yeah, absolutely. None of these guys jump off the page. Uh, maybe Trey Regis looked okay yeah. in, the, in the first preseason game, but other other than that, I mean, these guys are all expected to you know not make the team because just you know the pedigree of the roster that we have right now. So not not a bunch of uh, surprises for me either. No, they released five young American defensive backs. Collier was with the team briefly last year, but that's about it. Like that was really the only spot. Like offensive line, they didn't really have a ton of spots. Defense, like I mean, we just talked about the defensive line, so obviously they don't have any spots. But yeah, it was just um, it was a numbers game for some of these guys, and and I'm they all did their best, and you you know you thanked them for their time with the Tiger Cats, but all of these guys listed, they, they were they were real tough to make the team this year. So it just tells you that the amount of talent that this team has, where, where some guys that, that you saw in the preseason that looked pretty decent, weren't able to make the team. Um, the practice roster was also announced. They added 12 players to the practice roster, uh, Canadian defensive backs, Patrick Burke Jr. And Robert Panabaker. And they all also Canadian defensive lineman, Reese Martin. All three of those players were selected by the team in last month's draft. They also added American running back, Tayon Fleet Davis, American receiver Leandre Gallimore, American offensive lineman. Well, all these guys are American. I'm not going to say American every time. Offensive lineman Kendrick Sarter, defensive lineman Niles Pinckney, and defensive backs Carthel Flowers-Lloyd, Dexter Lawson, and Will Sunderland, as well as global defensive lineman Chris Malumba and punter, global punter Blake Hayes. 
And they also added Justin McGriff to the suspended list instead of the injured list or releasing him out, right? So now that we know who was added to the practice roster, who was cut, and therefore we know who made the roster, what are kind of your thoughts on the makeup of this team as we head towards the season opener in Winnipeg? Are you comfortable with the roster they have now? Are there still some question marks you have? What, where do you kind of stand, generally speaking, with the, with the way this roster is made up as we start the regular season this week? I feel super comfortable with this roster. Probably the most comfortable I've been in, in quite a long time, maybe since we've started Podskiwiwi. I just think the the building up of the offensive line, the depth of the offensive line, the leader that we have in quarterback, um, the defensive line, the depth on there. You know, if you want it to be negative, I'll be negative for you. Uh, and I'll throw it to you to, to, you know, turn it around and be positive about it. All right. So the the, the cornerbacks, uh, Lawrence Woods and George Jr. Pretty, you know, they haven't had a lot of time in the CFL as starters or are none really. You know, I'm worried about that. Are you worried about that? Worried might be too strong. It's definitely the, still the lone question mark remaining. I think we saw... I liked what I saw from both of them in the preseason. I liked what I saw from both of them. And this and this comes from the ability to watch almost every single training camp session this team had. I liked what I saw in training camp from these guys too. But let's see what they do come game time. Like the George in particular is lining up at that boundary corner position. He's going to be going up against some pretty stout receivers, some guys that have like not just not just on Friday in Winnipeg, but in the weeks to come. But I also think the reason I'm not overly concerned is they did keep a bunch of other defensive backs. Will Sunderland, who was in the battle for that starting spot, is still here. They kept a Dexter Lawson. They, they, they've kept some DBs around on the chance that that this kind of goes south. And I'm sure you saw it as, as much as I did. There was like this fan-made depth chart that was making the rounds after the cuts were announced. And it, there was a little bit of freaking out by some Tiger Cat fans, mostly due to the team not having any backup DBs listed on the roster. And I'm, I understand the the concern with with who's starting, but also you have to remember there's probably a half dozen or so players that are going to head to the one game injury list, which will open up spots for the team to roster some of those defensive backs. So if a Lawrence Woods or if a Kenneth George Jr. struggles in that opener against the Bombers. I don't think I think Ticats will still have one or two people able to then go, okay, we got to make a switch right now and plug someone else in. Cause like guys like Mason Bennett, Kwaku Boateng haven't really been practicing. Chris Van Gile just started back to practice last week, and we're going to talk about his return in a second. Tyler Fanowski was out there today, but he had been dealing with some injuries. Uh Voshan Joseph is a guy that that was hurt in the first preseason game and hasn't really practiced since. And even Jagir Davis has he was working a bit today, more so than I'd seen him do in the previous two weeks since basically since he got to training camp, they're all kind of prime contenders to potentially miss that opener in Winnipeg. Like I'm not saying any of them, all of them or any of them really will, will miss the game. But if you're looking at the roster and you're like worried that, Oh, I like what happens if this guy gets torched or what happens if I think it's a little premature just because we don't know yet who will go to that one game injury list. And we know for a fact that someone will, Richie Sandani's still on the roster. We know he's getting suspended for the first two games of the season for testing positive for PED. So that's another roster spot that's opening up. So while in a long-winded way, I kind of answered your question. It's, it's, I, yes, I am, like I said, concerned might be too strong of a word, but 
there's still definitely a wait and see approach because we don't know how these guys will perform until the lights are actually really bright. They could look great mm-hmm. in the preseason. They can look great, great in practice, but until they're lined up against some opposition foes and the games actually matter, that's when we'll find out if they're really up to the task of being a starter in this league for this year and going forward. Now, keep in mind, I'm just playing devil's advocate for sure, devil's for sure. advocate here and trying to pick fair, apart this fair, team. It's a, it's a fair question though, because you look yep. at the rest of the team and you go, where are the holes? Like, honestly, and I'm not mm-hmm. saying that even just as, like, I've talked to people outside Tiger Cats fandom who look at this team and go, I mean, on paper, they're, pr- and we know on paper means absolutely jack shit. How many times on paper did the Tiger Cats look dominant and, and faltered? But a lot of people outside of the Tiger Cats bubble that I've spoken to, fans and, and others alike, that's a, pretty talented team if, if they stay healthy for the most part this is a team that's going to win a lot of football games which is nice because that's sort of the idea that i got so i understand the devil's advocate stuff i understand that but this is still the one area where you do have a question mark so i think it's fair to discuss it now i'm going to continue with that trend the receivers you, know, you got tim white had a really good year last year it's only one year he's the number one guy he's not really a vet he showed that he can play really well in this in this league, but he hasn't shown it for you know multiple years yet. You got Duke Williams coming in off being a, a, just a terrible teammate, it seems, from the outside in Saskatchewan, doing things to uh, you know hurt his team there. And then the other three guys, I mean, we don't know because there's been injuries from young guys that were supposed to slide in like McGriff. Um, Keandre Smith is a guy that's has high expectation, has looked great in camp. But we haven't seen him do it either. We haven't seen him be a top-notch Canadian receiver either. So if you look at this receiving core, not a lot of experience. No, but they got Bo. And I think Bo will cover up for a lot of any potential issues that could arise there. I also think guys, and again, this is a little bit projecting, I think guys are going to take a step up. I think Terry Godwin, Omar Bayless, whichever one of those two guys starts, I think they're going to show that they can do it. So there is maybe, yeah, okay, so maybe I was wrong in saying that DB was the only spot. But I think when you have two guys like a Tim White and a Duke Williams, and I'll say on the record, from what I've seen from Duke, everything we heard beforehand, not saying it didn't occur because we saw some of it with our own eyes during games. If he was that way, it's a 180 with what I've seen here with the Ticats. So I just, I don't see that being an issue with this team. Now, if they start two and six and things start going poorly, well, then maybe we'll have to reevaluate that. But this team looks as cohesive as I've seen early in the season from a Ticats team in quite some time. I think Tim White can be a number one guy. I think Duke as the one B option is phenomenal. And I just think that the other guys will have to play their role. I don't expect Keandre Smith, who I do expect big things from this year, to go out and have 1,200 yards and and 15 touchdowns. Like, if he has 800 yards and three touchdowns, that's one of the better seasons from a Canadian receiver that the Ticats have had in quite some time. So these younger guys, and and the one thing the Ticats have always been really good at is finding young American receivers. They found Tim White. Before that, they plucked Braylon Addison off the scrap heap from the Argos. They found Jalen Saunders and Luke Tasker, and they brought Greg Ellingson into the league. And mm, Chris I mean, Williams. We, Chris Williams. And like we can go back and back and back until you and I were in diapers if we wanted to. But finding receiving talent has never been a problem with this team. And we saw that again this this preseason where 
Leandre Gallimore steps up on special teams and in the receiving core. And Omar Bayless gets his opportunity. Justin McGriff before he got hurt. Now, I know he's not here, so it doesn't really matter. But he looked good. Like, I just – I when it – everyone always says that running back is the most easily replaceable position. With the Tiger Cats, I think it's American receiver. I think that they just have – whoever they have in the front office. And for some reason, whoever they've had around for 30 years just knows how to scout those types of players because – the proof is in the pudding. They've always seems to find the next guy after one of their other guys ages out. So no, I'm not really concerned with the receiving core whatsoever. Now there's Bo Levi Mitchell, a guy he used to be an MOP, but the last couple of seasons looked mediocre at best. His shoulder has been injured for the last couple of years. You know, who knows if that shoulder's still good or, or if he can, you know, toss it downfield anymore. Like what, tell me why I'm wrong on this. Well, I've seen him toss it downfield, so I know he can do it. Now, mm-hmm. the question becomes, it's great that he does it in June. Can he still do it in October and in November when it matters most? Health-wise, is that that's, that is a question with Bo, but he's coming off the, with the exception of the year they didn't play due to COVID, he's coming off his longest break from football, so he's probably as healthy as he's ever been. He's got that massive chip on his shoulder. Like, he always had a chip on his shoulder, but now he's really got one because he's been discarded. I just look at the move here. I think the body's going to be fine. And I see this as another Henry Burris, another Ricky Ray, where the team got rid of him and he still had quite a bit left in the tank. So I I understand the concerns with Bo, but he's got a great offensive line in front of him. He's got a running game that he can rely on. I just don't think the injury thing is going to, is going to rear its ugly head. You know what I mean? Like I, I think, mm-hmm. I think he's going to go back to I, I, he'll never be 2016 Bo again because that's just not how father time works but I still think that he can be you know an not not even not just an above average quarterback but he can be one of the elite quarterbacks in this league still Any 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 more concerns you want to throw at me One more I got the de- uh, the defensive line and you look at me like I'm crazy when I say this but <laughs> You know, Jagarit Davis on the defensive end spot, kind of a down year last last season with the Argonauts. You know, not as good as his, his season with the Ticats. Carney, uh, high expectations for him, a younger guy, but he hasn't shown it yet. Uh, Dylan wins out on the on the sixth game to start the season. Uh, Marcus Sales, a very good player, but you know, not necessarily a superstar at that defensive tackle spot. Ted Laurent, he's 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 aging up there now. Botan coming off an injury. And and Bennett, you know, he hasn't, once again, uh, a lot of potential there, but ne- hasn't necessarily shown that he's a star in this league either. Yeah, but you just listed off about a half dozen, more than a half dozen names there. So even if those guys, none of them have to be the man. Yep. You know what I mean? So we're not, it's not like in years past with like a Joe Monford, say, where you're relying on one guy to just wreck shop. Jaguar doesn't have it one day. Well, maybe Quaku does. And if Quaku doesn't have it one day, well, now they added Jonathan Kongbo. And yeah, Dylan wins down, but they still have Casey Sales. And oh, Sales isn't really having it. Well, go with Diallo and, and Teddy. Like, I think because of the amount of talent that they've accumulated at the position, you're not relying. Like, I don't think anyone on the Ticats this year will lead the league in sacks, but I think the team might lead the league in sacks. You know what I mean? Like, they'll be in that upper third you know, first, second, third spot for most sacks because of how many guys they have. And they're going to be able to rotate guys in and out and keep guys fresh. And I think that's one of the reasons why they'll be able to roll this throughout the season 
and and to, like obviously some guys want to play more because they you know the more they play the more they get in a rhythm but Jagir Davis usually starts season slow most of it probably due to the fact that he always arrives at training camp late and doesn't really do a whole heck of a lot while he's there but he'll start the season slow so he comes along but when he starts to hit his groove you know like I understand I, I understand you're trying to find things to pick nits at and I'm not even necessarily sure you believe some of the things you're saying but I think when you accumulate this much talent one or two guys not being a plus doesn't mean that the unit as a whole can't be a plus if that makes sense one last thing to touch on with regards to the Tiger Cats and that is last week we saw the return to the practice field of one Chris Van Zyl Van Zyl had been placed on the injured veterans list at the start of camp and had only been doing light work out of uniform and pads on the sidelines at McMaster. He told reporters on the day he returned here in Hamilton that he had hip surgery in the offseason and wasn't sure if he would be coming back to play football this year. But he is here, and while he is still probably a few weeks away from actually playing, I do think that he, I do not think that he will play against Winnipeg, but I could be wrong, but that's just the, the sense that I get, that he's ramping up to get back into the lineup. It's still nice to know that at some point in the future, the Ticats will be able to insert a Hall of Fame caliber player into the offensive line rotation, is it not? Yes, but... I was going to say, that sounds, it, like a, that sounds like a butt's coming there. <laughs> so if, if the offensive line is rolling and there's no problems with it and, you know, Riley's out there doing his thing, if that's who they're playing out there, I don't necessarily see the need for them to slide him in there. Maybe if it, you know, ratio, obviously, if they want to go four and one on the offensive line, if that's their plan, then that's, then that's their plan. But I just don't want to disrupt the offensive line. If it's, you know, playing like out of this world, the first four or five weeks, and then Chris Van is healthy enough to play. I just don't see the point of that. And, you know, he's at the point of his career, or maybe it'd be best for him to be a backup. Okay. See, cause that's what I was going to ask you next. Like, what do you do with him when he's healthy? Like, it sounds like you wouldn't slide him right back into his old right tackle spot that you'd more use him in a rotation role. But I guess it's all dependent on how the line looks while he's still mm-hmm. kind of get working himself back into the roster. Yeah, absolutely. Like if they're the first four or five games and only only given up a one or two sacks and Bose, you know, has all all kinds of time in the pocket and we're running the ball well, then I don't I don't want them to insert anybody if that five. If those five players are playing as a cohesive unit, then I want it to keep it that way. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, like, what a heck of a sixth off the offensive lineman to have, too, right? Like, mm-hmm. and and if that's the case, yep. now you bump down. So now you have Kyle Saxlett as your your seventh. You still have they have a first round pick in Dayton Black that they're high on. Alex Fontana, though he's he's now on the six game injured list, I believe. He's a guy that they can bring. But like, it just it just goes to show you again the amount of talent that this team has in the roster where you can take a guy like Chris Van Zyl, who is, as I said, Hall of Fame caliber caliber player, likely going to make the Hall of Fame when his career is over. You can use him in in what could be his last season of professional football in a rotational role and, and a spot starter. It again, another what this team did in the offseason allows this to happen. They they built up the defensive line. They also built up the offensive line. That's gotta make you happy though, because that those are the two places you love the most. Yeah, I am overjoyed. Like we, we I was trying to pick apart this roster earlier, but to be honest with you, uh, this is the happiest I've been coming into a season just knowing that the offensive line is built up so heavily. Like you mentioned the guys that are probably won't be starters and they could get be starters on others te- on other teams. So, uh 
I, I'm pumped. I'm pumped to see what this team does, what this offensive line does. And they get a pretty stiff test when they take on the Bombers on Friday. That's a pretty good defensive line there, so that'll be fun to watch. And a good offensive line, so we'll see what the defensive line looks like as well. But we'll get to the we'll get to this week's game in a second. First, we're going to talk some CFL news. Obviously, the Tiger Cats were not the only team to make cuts as rosters around the league needed to be trimmed by midnight on Saturday. Almost every year, we see some surprising releases. But the last few seasons, I think it's fair to say that the bloodletting has been a lot less gory than we even saw like five, six, seven years ago. Looking at the the list of cuts from the other eight teams, did any of them really stand out as as being all that surprising to you? Uh, I'd say the Derek Dennis cut yeah. uh, was probably the biggest of them all. He was a all-star last year, I believe. Might he, have been he, he might have been offensive lineman of the year if he would have stayed healthy because he got hurt at the end of the year. So he might have won the award if he stayed healthy last year. Yeah, it's pretty shocking for Calgary to let a guy like that go. Uh, you know, Calgary's synonymous for not wanting to pay their veteran players and i don't know if that was the case this time but um that was definitely the the one that stood out the most yeah that was definitely the biggest one there were a couple other ones for me stefan banks a defensive lineman that signed in free agency like he signed the day of free agency with the sketch and rough riders he got let go the bc lions let go of uh noah zur who was their second round pick in last year's draft mark leggio the kicker punter in winnipeg who had his he you know famously had his field goal blocked in the 2022 Grey Cup, he was let go. And Sammy Coates, a receiver in Edmonton, he played four years in the NFL with the Steelers, Browns, and Texans, was also let go. But like I said, there wasn't a ton of, like, some years we'd be like, look at this veteran that got released, or look at that veteran that got released. And aside from Derek Dennis, we didn't really see any of that this year. It was a lot more of the teams brought in their guys over the offseason, like their veteran guys that they knew they were going to play. They found their their young guys that they were going to bring in, and and it was really just a whole heck of a lot of, of younger players that got released. Having said that, is there anyone that was released that you would like to see Hamilton maybe go after? Is I don't think Derek Dennis would be an option, but is there anyone else like out there that you saw that maybe watching preseason games that were broadcast or whatever that kind of caught your eye that you know that got released and you'd like to see maybe the Ticats make a run at them? To be honest with you, no, not really. I, I like the makeup of this team right now. I think you you go young. And uh, obviously they're going young and a little bit inexperienced with uh, cornerbacks this year. And I, I think you, you, you ride out that plan. I don't think you need to bring in anyone necessarily. Yeah. Brad Muhammad, you brought up cornerbacks. That's the other one I forgot. Brad Muhammad was also released by the Stampeders. He was a starter last year with them. He he was someone that I thought maybe, maybe you make a run at if, if you do want to make a change at, at corner, you want to play a, a more experienced guy. I just don't think that's necessarily the case. The only real guy that I think that the team could maybe look at is someone like Noah Zur, just because this team could use some Canadian O-line depth, like young Canadian O-line depth. And he was a second-round pick, so he must have some sort of talent. But other than that, I just looked at the the list of guys this morning and was like, not really anyone that I think would make this team better this year and in the future. And I'm not even sure Zur would do that, but just because he was a second-round pick, this team does need an infusion of younger talent along the offensive line at the Canadian spots. I thought maybe that's something they could look at, but I, I'm with you. If, if they, I mean, they signed uh Giroux off the Stampeders, but that, and but we already discussed that, but I don't know. Yeah. To me, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. There's really no one here that I'm, uh, I'm all that amped to, to see the team bring in last bit of CFL news. And uh, we're going to play just a one round game of fill in the blanks with this one, Mike. The BC Lions announced that hip-hop icon LL Cool J 
will perform at their home opener on June 17th. Last year, we know the Lions brought in one Republic to play their home opener and got a massive, massive crowd for it. And the LL announcement came on the heels of the Montreal Alouettes announcing that Our Lady Peace will be playing halftime at their home opener, which takes place this weekend. We already discussed that on last week's episode. So, Mike, LL Cool J playing the BC Lions home opener is blank. Pretty impressive. You know, I know he's not the young, new act in hip-hop. You know, he's been around for many, many years, the uh, mid-80s. But he's an icon. He's an icon in the hip-hop world. Uh, I'm not sure necessarily how well he'll draw or if he'll draw better than one Republic last season's home opener. But I think it's pretty impressive to get a hip-hop legend like that in to play a halftime show. I mean, it speaks to me as an old-school hip-hop head. Like, I loved LL Cool J back in the day. But this kind of reminds me a little bit of the Our Lady Peace thing. Like, it's it's great that they've moved on from catering to the 65-year-old set, but they're still now just catering to the 45-year-old set. I do think this is a, a big... I. It's a big get, I think, for people our age who know, like, mom, like Mama Said Knock You Out came out when I was in elementary school, and I'm 41 years old. So it's been over 30 years since that song came out. And I know he's had some hits since then, like Phenomenon came out, and he had some he had some hits there in the, in the late 90s as well. Uh, his beef with with cannabis was was pretty a pretty well known thing amongst hip hop fans. But it's just it's kind of I, I like the fact that they're moving towards younger acts. But LL Cool J is still not exactly someone I'd call. Young, like he's got to be in his 50. He's 55 years old. Like, mm-hmm. and he's still, I know he's, I think he's still got name recognition, but I just don't know how many young people know him as a musician. Like he's more known yeah. for, for television acting and, uh, and movie acting now than he really is for, for being a musician. But like, I think it's cool. And it speaks to it. This reminds me on a much smaller scale of the Super Bowl halftime show a few years ago that Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Eminem. Now those guys I think are even a little bit more contemporary. Like they state Eminem, especially and Kendrick Lamar was there. Like they, they're more in the public zeitgeist now than LL Cool J is. But I do think it's cool. I think what the lions are doing with this, bringing in a big act for the home opener, I think is a smart idea because maybe and we saw it last year, the crowds did dwindle as the year went on, even though they had a really good team with someone that inside of Canadian football, we were all really excited to watch in Nathan Rourke. But maybe every year, if you attract another hundred people to keep coming, like if they got a hundred more people last year than they did the year before, and they keep doing this and the owner there seems to be committed to making this work. It's, it's not a bad thing. I don't want to, I don't want that to sound too negative, but in the same vein as Our Lady Peace, that's what this kind of reminds me of. You know what I mean? Like, it's a it's a younger act, but not what I would call a young act, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, he was, like you said, his last hit was Phenomenon, and he doesn't done anything musically for, for a very long time. But, you know, I, I'm with you. I think that the BC Lions are really trying, like really trying. I think the owner is uh, putting money towards grassroots football in the province as well. He's doing all the right things. So... Yeah, it's not uh, the hot new hip hop act that's coming up right now to attract, you know, the teenagers and the and the twenty somethings. But um, I think it's a it's a pretty big name, and they're trying. He's doing more for to revive the BC Lions brand in BC than the Argos owners MLSE have done to revive the Argos mm-hmm. brand. So, yeah. I mean, we always talk about the problem areas in this league with the major cities. He seems at least committed to making it work in BC. It's Maybe it'll take a decade before it gets really strong, but he seems committed 
and I'm not going to fault a guy for that. I'm not going to crap on a guy for that either. What he's doing, if it, if it continues to bear fruit, I'm really happy for him because I think that that community can really support. It's a very diverse community that I think could really support uh, professional football there. So if this is what it takes to do it, Godspeed, go with God, do your thing, make it work. I'll be happy to see it be a success. It's game preview time though, Mike. And this time the game actually counts for something in the standings for the second time in three years, the Hamilton Tiger Cats will open their regular season schedule in Winnipeg. The last times these two teams met on opening weekend was in 2021 with the Bombers outlasting the Tiger Cats by a score of 19 to six. However, a ton has changed since then. The Bombers are no longer the defending Grey Cup champions, having ceded that title to the team that we shall not name last November. Despite falling short, however, Winnipeg did not make many changes to their roster from a season ago. Backer almost all of their core veterans from their back-to-back Grey Cup winning teams. But the one big move they did make was bringing back receiver Kenny Lawler, who left the Manitoba Capitol following the 2021 season to sign a big money contract with the Edmonton Elks last year. However, the Ticats will not face Lawler as he has been suspended by the team due to an issue stemming from an impaired driving conviction or arrest back in 2021 during his first stint with the Bombers. The Ticats, however, we know from following this team for as long as we have, early seasons are not really kind to this franchise. In the last 20 years, the Ticats have won just four season openers with their last week one victory coming in 2019. So what do you think the Cats need to do on Friday to start the Bo Levi Mitchell era off with a win? Is there any sort of things you're looking for from the team and just in general, what do they have to stop the Bombers from doing or what do they have to do themselves to ensure that they start the season 1-0, which has been a rarity around these parts? Well, I got three points, and they're pretty simple. I got give both time. So the offensive line's got to perform against that top defensive line. I know that Willie Jefferson and, and Jeff Cote are getting up there in age, but I, I still think that they're, you know, got to be considered near the top, if not the top duo uh, for defensive ends in this league. So I think it's going to be a good test, especially for those tackles. So give Bo time in the pocket and you got to get James Butler involved. I know that in the past, Tommy Gontel's offense hasn't necessarily run the ball a ton, but I think you, just for the offensive line's sake, I think they like to get off and, you know, go hit some people. So get, give Butler some touches, let him run the ball a little bit, let the offensive line get physical. And then on the defensive side of the ball, you know, the, we've talked about this defensive line so much in the offseason, all the talent that we have accrued. So I, I just think that if you pressure Zach and and get him off his game, it's going to be much easier to get a win. And we know that the, the defense is going to stop the run because that's what they do. That's what this defense has done for the last couple of seasons. They've been number one against the run, uh, at least last year. So... Those are my three points. And then the extra added thing of uh, stopping the run, which we know that they're going to do. Yeah. So for me, it's they got to avoid costly mistakes. One of the reasons this team fell in Winnipeg last year was Dane's interception issues. Uh, the One of the reasons they got off to such a poor start last year was Dane's turnover problems. So they Bose hasn't necessarily been more careful with the football the last few years, but over his career, he's been a little more. He hasn't been as cavalier with with his mistakes, and I, I don't expect to see as many mental errors that lead to mistakes that we saw a season ago. But that's a big thing. You can't be giving the Bombers a short field with that offense because they'll they'll eat your lunch. I think they got to keep Winnipeg's defense off balance, and you kind of brought up the run game, and that's part of it. They 
They need to do misdirection. They need to run the ball. They need to do some screen plays. That We know they're going to take their shots deep because that's what Bo likes to do and what Bo wants to do. But I think that you have to mix in a little bit of everything in order to keep the Bombers from knowing if, if they can stay out of second and long situations and they can, and again, they're not going to stay out of them all game, but if for the most part, if they can get into second and medium, second and short, second and manageable is what I'll ultimately call it. I think that that opens up more of the playbook and, and you can't just have Jeff Coat and Jefferson pin their ears back and go after the quarterback. And defensively, it's, it's kind of simple. They can't let Zach Caleros cook them. They like, don't like let Russ cook in the, in the NFL. Let Zach cook was a, was a recipe for success last year. They can't allow Caleros to get back there and just have the time to pick them apart because he's, he doesn't use his feet or his scrambling ability and his improvisational ability as much as he used to, but he can still pick a spot and a receiver is going to go there. He knows this offense inside and out. You got to make his life miserable. Get him on. I know I, there's going to be a couple of plays in this game where he's going to do something magical and you're going to go like, you you can't defend it, but if they can keep those to a minimum and just, and, and get after him and, and make him feel this ferocious pass rush. I think this team can escape with a victory, but I, I do think this is going to be a tough one to win. I really do. I think, I'm not necessarily even sure if like, you never want to lose. Like I want them to go 18 and 0 and and win every game by 100 points. But if they can go in there against a team as good as Winnipeg, with all the changes, because that's a big thing too. Like half of this roster has been turned over, and usually that means the early seasons are going to be a little bit tougher. If they can have a competitive game, if they can make this, if if they can stay in this late, maybe have an opportunity to win it late in the game. I, but even if they lose, but it, it's a closely contested contest, I think you can come out of it even in the loss look going, okay, I still feel good going into the rest of the season. And, and maybe we didn't get off on the winning note in game one, but those wins are going to pile up starting now. You know what I mean? Yeah, more of a, you know, a confidence builder just to stick around yeah. with that team that's been dominant for the last three to four years, right? So, uh, but could you imagine if they went in there and, and got the win? Uh, the morale boost on that team would be, uh, you know, you, you couldn't buy that uh, confidence from, you know, going in and beating the Winnipeg Blue Bombers on the first game of the season with a, basically a new team. Uh, it would be tremendous. Well, and Bo said to the media this this past week, he said, like, there's no better test for a team than going up against the two Grey Cup teams in their mm-hmm. home. And back-to-back weeks, and that's what the Ticats do. They get they go to Winnipeg to take on yep. the Bombers, and then the second week they go to the Argos and have to st- sit there on the sidelines and watch them raise their banner. So, I mean, if they start this season 2-0, and we're going to start to hear some chatter. Like, like, you knock off the two Grey Cup teams in the first two weeks, there's going to be some chatter that this could be the year. You know what I mean? Like, there's already that chatter mm-hmm. bubbling, but once they start showing it on the field in front of everybody and not just what they showed on the practice field or in preseason games that people couldn't watch – then I think we're going to see we're going to see the momentum behind this team maybe doing some big things actually come about outside of sort of the Tiger Cats bubble. But uh, I'm excited. For, I, I think I don't think this is going to be a game that we see the Tiger Cats get blown out. And I think it's going to be a pretty good game on Friday. But, yeah, I'm a I don't know. I, I with so much roster turnover, it's hard to really know what we're going to see. But hopefully what mm-hmm. we see is uh, some entertaining football. And, yeah, if they get that win. Man, oh man, that's uh, that'll be a pretty big statement to make in week one of the season. Absolutely, and I, I, w- I wouldn't have it any other way. You know, we come into the season, we have the hardest test in the first week. We see what this team is made of, and then we plow ahead. 
What did Ric Flair used to say? To be the man, you got to beat the man. And I know the Bombers aren't the defending Grey Cup champs anymore, but they're still the giant that can that needs to be mm-hmm. slayed in this in this league. Losing one championship game by by a point doesn't sway me from thinking the Bombers are still the team to beat in this league. So you're you're gonna have to play them eventually, you know, whether it's regular season or in a possible Grey Cup matchup. So if you got to beat them, you might as well beat them. Might as well get that monkey off your back right away. So, and we saw it last year with a with a team that I don't think was as talented as this one, ha- handle the Bombers in a game at, at Tim Hortons Field that sparked that five and one run to to, squeak, to get into the playoffs. So, you never know. You never know. I mean, they they uh, I think 2019 season they went into Winnipeg and and smoked them, and that was the Simone Lawrence setting the uh, single game record for tackles. So it's not as if they haven't had success in Winnipeg. It's just th- this this Winnipeg team is tough to beat, but uh, to go in there and slay the Dragon in week one, I think that would put a lot of people on notice that this Ticats team is to be taken seriously. So that is it for this episode, and you may be wondering, wait, where's the season preview stuff? They promised a season preview show. Well, in the You ain't of- getting it. You're not <laughs> getting it. <laughs> yeah, you don't deserve it, you sons of bitches. Uh, in the interest of keeping this show at a reasonable length, we're almost at an hour just having talked about all this stuff. We decided that this year we were going to split the season preview episode into its own episode. So we have this episode here, mainly Ticats focused, but we will be back later in the league. Eight later in the league. Yeah, I can speak. Easy for me to say, pal. Likely on Wednesday, maybe Thursday, but I'm thinking more. It's going to get posted on on Wednesday with our full blown CFL season preview. We'll make our predictions for the upcoming season, give out some bold takes, bold predictions on the year, play play a very new game that we're very excited about playing. It just felt right to break this into two episodes for the Ticat fans that only want to hear Ticat stuff. You got this episode for the fans of the show that want to hear our takes on everything CFL. You'll have our preview episode coming up. So join us later in the week as we give you our thoughts on the upcoming CFL season. Are you ready to go with your predictions for 2023, Mike? Like, have you, have you locked in the standings, your great cup, all that sort of stuff? Are you, are you ready to, to go on the record with your picks for this season? You better hope I locked in the picks or it's going to be a pretty, uh, (laughs) uh, not very good show. So (laughs) I'm completely unprepared, but yes, uh, I have everything locked in and I'm ready to go. You know, I'm ready to get some predictions right this year. Uh, well, you know what? You got a pretty big one right last year, but we'll discuss that on the season preview show, which you can hear later in the week for now. That was Podsky before I usually say for this week, but it's not really for the week for, for right now. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm my Graham, eat them raw. Eat them raw.